going to ask them to record this for me because I do not have this message recorded. And I want this message uh, recorded because it's from the Lord. Now, I'm going to have you turn to two places. First is the book of Daniel. And this is not really a prophetic message per se, although it is, I think, a now word from the Lord. And I'm going to read a very strange passage of Scripture. And as I get ready to go into this teaching... I'm going to look at something that is very, very interesting as it relates to the spiritual condition of the body of Christ and why God is allowing certain things to happen. Uh, If I were to say to you, and if you've ever watched the news, and let me just say something about the media. We had a former religious editor to a major paper who made the statement when he got here, I'm coming to Chattanooga to take down, allegedly made the statement, and this, oh, someone overheard him, uh, to take down the charismatic and Pentecostal churches in the area. And he named me and Kevin Wallace and Ron Phillips as the top three that he was coming after. So when I share with you what I'm about to share with you, you realize that when you, whether it's uh, uh, newspaper media or whether it's the secular news media, and some call it fake news, and there is a lot of that, they just uh, found out that one of the reporters for a national paper did 27 articles that were all wrong. Is that the number? Totally, completely wrong, and they, had, they fired the guy. So you must be careful always, whatever ministry it is or church it is, because listen to what Tony Scott said. Accurization is not evidence. And you'll soon find that out. So in other words, just because there's accusation, because if you go back to the book of Revelation chapter uh, 12, you will discover that it gives you the, the role of Satan. In fact, look at his names. Look at Satan in Hebrew. It means adversary. Look at word devil or diabolos in Greek of the New Testament. And it means accuser and slanderer. So if you want to know what the number one role of Satan is, it's to accuse you to make you feel like you are under an accusation uh, that you are not worthy, come on now, of God's presence or, or, or God's love. Or it's to have others to accuse you in order to hurt or disrupt or slander. And he is an accuser. Hello. Of the brethren before God day and night. In fact, his three roles, and I'm not preaching this, but his three roles are tempter, Matthew 4, accuser, Revelation 12, and deceiver, Matthew 24. So if you sum up the three roles of Satan, period, it will be, let me say it again, tempter, accuser, and deceiver. And it's all about pulling you away from God or pulling other people away from you. There you go. So uh, we're going to get into some deep stuff here. But it, the, the situation I want to share is if you ever notice, there's a lot of news about the body of Christ. And I'm not going to name ministries or people uh, that this, this is going on and this is taking place and that accusation is out there. And I don't mean a handful. I mean, it's like a wave of it. Now, if I were to sit down certain people, if I were to sit down people who hate the church, they are so happy about this because to them, it gives them their ammo of everybody's a hypocrite. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. Church people are all fake. It gives them more ammo. If I were to sit down moderate Christians who really don't know the Bible, they would probably be mixed about it. If I were to sit down spiritually minded people, they would basically say, well, these are attacks of the enemy in one form or another. And really, 
they are in that sense of the word. But I'm about to show you a twist, a new twist, a new something. And we're going to plow and you're going to see something today that's going to be an eye opener. And I'm going to show you why the Lord allows certain things to take place like we are seeing. Okay, Daniel, that's my introduction, by the way. That's not the sermon. Wasn't that a long introduction? Daniel chapter 11. Now, I'm getting a new pair of glasses, so you will not recognize me after I get them next week. Uh, I found out, I've got to tell this story real quick, but I was putting eye drops in my eyes, or I thought they were, and I reached over uh, where I was sitting, and it was the fungus for your toenails. And I put it in my eye, and it burnt the fire. I thought I had burnt my eyeball, my retina, my pupil out. And I was throwing water, screaming. Pam was praying in the Holy Ghost. And I, I really did. I thought I would be blind in this eye. So I go to get my eyes checked, and the lady says, this is real strange. One of your eyes has gotten better. Now, I'm not recommended putting that stuff in, okay, because it was not that. It's that my sugars come down. Please understand, do not do that. But uh, so if, if, I, if, you, if you, you, people know you by your, your Clark Kent gag glasses, you know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change those. But anyway, the reason I'm saying that, it's a little difficult for me to read. I have to pull the Bible away. Uh, Daniel chapter 11, here's where we're going to go. Look with me at verse 35. Now notice what it says here. Some of understanding shall fall. And that word fall doesn't mean to fall on the ground. It means to have a spiritual failure. Now watch this, not sinners, believers. Believers, those who have understanding or knowledge of Scripture. Those who have understanding and knowledge of the Bible, we would say. If I was translating it today, I would say, many who are part of the body of Christ shall fall. But here's the reason why. Ready? To refine them. Oh, it got quiet. And purify them. And make them white until the time of the end. So, the problem that you thought you had, Satan means it for evil, but God means it for good. Now, now you got to follow this because this really gets more interesting. And I feel the Holy Ghost running up and down my avenues of my soul right now. Like the old timers used to say. Uh, because it is still for the appointed time. So this is a real revelation here that in the time of the end, now everybody needs to clean your ears out because this is not about just pastors, evangelists, prophets, apostles, teachers, fivefold ministry in the book of Ephesians. This is about you folks sitting in the padded seat. God wants you in heaven. I remember Hank... You had a choir loft at one time. Right there. It was right over there. And I remember there was a girl here who's a very famous songwriter. You remember her, Paula. And Hank got up and said, turn to somebody and say, heaven wouldn't be the same without you there. Do you remember that? And I looked at Paula and Paula looked at me because we, we had written songs. I said, that's a great song. And she wrote that song and made all kinds of money on it and needs to send Rhonda a donation. I need to call her. Come on. <laughs> TBN made it. Heaven wouldn't be the same without you. I mean, she wrote a song. Yes, she did. Right here. Long time ago. We need at least 10% on that give to you, to the church, right? But see, let me say this. God wants you and I in heaven. So whatever he has to do to help us get there, 
which means purification, refining, rebuking, just to make sure that we have everything. Let me just say it this way. When he comes, he's coming after a church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. That's what he said. Now, would a bride at her wedding day, the night before, spill coffee on her dress and say, well, it don't matter. No, it, what, what are you going to do? It don't matter. People, I'll just tell everybody I spilled coffee. And she's coming in there with this beautiful, expensive bridal gown on. Is that what you call her? Gown? And I just want to make sure. Gown makes me think of a nightgown that Pam's wearing or something. But, okay, a gown. And then she's got a coffee stain right down the side here, all the way down. And you would say, oh, how did she fix that? What is she doing? This is her wedding day. All right. Or would she put one on that has certain sleeves and it's just totally wrinkled like she slept in it? Would she do that? Would she put one on that had for some reason ink blots on it where she accidentally... Okay, so why do we think that we're going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb and the wedding and meet the Lamb with spots and wrinkles and blemishes? So what he does is he says, all right, you got too many spots, you got too many wrinkles, you got too many blemishes. Now, I know what most people think when you hear preaching like this, just the introduction. We think of the major sins in the book of Galatians, the sins of the flesh. That's what, but let me tell you where the body of Christ really is. Ready? Uh, there's not a lot of people out there committing adultery, fornication. There's not a lot of people doing the, the you know, getting drunk all the time. Not the, not the crowd that we run, run with, right? But I'm telling you, they are eat up with bitterness. And they're eat up with unforgiveness. And they're eat up with slander. And they're eat up with backbiting. And they're eat up with gossip. And they're eat, eat up with backstabbing. And I'm telling you, unforgiveness is so bad that Jesus said, if you don't forgive, I won't even forgive you. My Father won't forgive you of your sins when you pray. He said, if you don't forgive, you might as well forget giving your offering because it can't be blessed. Now I'm preaching. That's what's killing us. Not the five, not the seven deadly sins, not the, I mean, look, I know people, and I, I'm in Cleveland, so I can't tell my stories, but I know people who literally have told lies, would look at you and know they lied and think it's okay to lie. But if you lied, they're going to send you to hell. So what I'm saying is this is the stuff that has become the spots and the blemish and the wrinkles that God says, God says in Daniel, so that you will be ready at the time of the end, those of you that have understanding, that have, can I say it this way? And you got the spots, and you got the blemishes, and you got the wrinkles, I'm going to refine you to make you white and keep you white to the time of the end. Now, white is not the color of your skin. White is a color used in the Bible. You know that there's blues and purples and there's, there's different colors in the Bible. White is a color in the Bible that represents the robes of the saints, that represents righteousness. So, And I want to tell you something. All y'all sitting out there, you aren't white folks. Because stand up, Rhonda. Stand up, Rhonda. See what she's wearing? That's white. And not, not a one of you look like that with your skin color. We are, a, we are a little tan, we're a little olive, we're not really white people, okay? You know what I'm saying? Because if you're that color, we're going to bring a box down here and lay you in it because you're, you're about to go home. <laughs> okay? So anyway, just want to let you know that. So the white here really rep- represents purification, and that's why it's used. 
All right, now this takes me to, uh, let's see, where are we at here? First uh, Peter chapter 4, and I should have brought a bigger Bible. Okay, all right, now I'm gonna, I want you to turn to First Peter chapter 4 because he is going to address something related to the church, all right? Now, I had a man from Pakistan that I have never met in my life who came by my office Friday and had watched us on television over there because we are on television all over the world, as you know, and watched social media, and he always wanted to meet me, and I did not know he was in my building, and I'm walking out while him and Charlie are walking, and we just meet. And we spent about 45 minutes together, and he was giving prophetic words And he was talking about that God was going to give me a revelation on something to teach. And I never had anybody ever tell me this. I've never even thought about it. And then as I began to meditate on it, then it really started like coming clear to me of some things that the Lord would have us teach one day. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. Now, let's go back to your father and mother's day and their parents, or what we would say, Fred Stone, my dad, my grandparents, John Bear, my great-grandparents, R.L. Rex wrote. In the generation of what we call the Pentecostal movement of the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, etc. And Rhonda, you will remember this growing up because we're older. We're not old. We're just older than we used to be. <laughs> haven't changed a bit. Haven't changed just for the hair. You know, the hair. Actually, I put my head in Clorox and this happened. I don't know what happened to my hair. You know, that's... I'm joking. So... The, the thing about it, there was what Pentecostals in the earlier days were called holiness people. And the word holiness was equated to long hair, no makeup, no jewelry. Women had to wear dresses. Uh, and, of course, all the men in church wore suits. So, in other words, it was, it was equated to how you looked. The biggest problem was that, with that is when you read the four Gospels, how the Pharisees looked. They had the phylacteries. They had the prayer shawls. They had the borders of the garment. They had, the frame, they had everything to look right. And Jesus would look at them and say, hypocrite. And he said, outwardly, you have whited the sepulcher. Now, what does that mean? Before the festivals of Israel, they would go to the tombs and they would whitewash everything, making every, make the tombs look beautiful. And he said, but all you are are dead men's bones. What an insult to them. So the, the, the problem we had with that in the earlier days, and I remember, was if a person looked that way, no this, no this, no this, no this, no this, they were exalted on a pedestal as being very holy and very righteous. <laughs> but some of them poor folks had tongues so big you could wrap it around a telephone pole. Because even though growing up we didn't sin, we talked. I wish I could get some help up in here. We talked. We talked about that preacher and that church and that gossip and that story and that bad thing. And so we felt we didn't... <laughs> I got tickled here in Tennessee one time. They had a prayer conference. Ain't nobody praying. You know what all the preachers are doing? All of them are coming here to Tennessee because they want to go out and eat after the service. E.C. Thomas was the general overseer. We were at Lee University. You might remember this. And, and I, he's given an altar call. Bless his heart. All the, that whole crowd's sitting there saying, would you just shut up so we can go out and eat? 
And me and another preacher, I felt like I walked right out. Of the, I was bold back then. I walked right out of the seat, right to E.C. Thomas. I said, I feel like there's some people in the Holy Ghost. Me and this preacher will lay hands on him if you'll form a prayer line. He said, well, Brother Perry here. You know Brother Perry. He, and we formed a prayer line. And everybody went out and eating me and this guy praying for people who need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So it, it was not a, we'd have a fasting and prayer conference to talk about fasting and praying and neither prayed nor fasted. Now, I hope, I hope you're on the railroad track riding the train with me right now. Not, I haven't lost you. So, <laughs> so this is what I want to tell you. What happened was people would come to our congregations who did not look like us, but were good people whose hearts were pure, but they were judged as unholy because of their outward adornment. Now, watch what I'm going to say. There, there is righteousness... And I'm going somewhere with this. That's why I'm here on it. There is righteousness and then there's holiness. Righteousness cannot be imparted by how you look or what you do. Because the Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. Righteousness means to stand right before God, guilt-free, shame-free. That's righteousness and that is only imparted by the blood of Jesus. Holiness is how you personally follow up on the righteousness. I got to say it again. Holiness, all it is, is how you personally walk your life out by the impartation of the righteousness God gives you. Now, here's the reason why. Because if you feel that you have been clean, if you feel that you have been refined, and you know that you have been redeemed, then the desire of your heart will be to walk before God, which is pleasing to Him. It's a, in other words, you don't have to force yourself to change. So years ago, and I've got to tell my story. And this may go out on the tape club, and my people know me, so they can put up with it. But I told Nick Walker, I was preaching at his church, and I went to a church, will not tell you where, good pastor, great guy. Pam and I love this family, but we had a man saved who was over the western steer house, and he brought 20 people with him who got saved. This revival was blowing and going. Well, the western steer guy wanted to join the church. This was 1980. Now, let's talk about outward versus inward. You'll see what I'm coming from. When the guy went to join the church, he had a wedding band on, and he had an Alabama class ring where he graduated from the University of Alabama. So the pastor, who's very traditional, says to him, now, brother, if you want to join the church, you'll have to take that Alabama ring off. He said, why? Because we don't believe in outward adornment. We don't believe in excessive jewelry, and that's excessive. So the guy stayed saved and took 20 people and joined the Assemblies of God across town. <laughs> so it is kind of funny, and I've laughed about this for a while. So I said to Nick, here's what I said. This is what I'm thinking to them. Is this man who has two rings on? Now, we're talking tradition now. We're talking about man's idea of holiness versus God's idea. And I'm going somewhere. You'll see where I'm going in a minute. And so I said to them, okay, is he saved? Did he really get saved? Well, yeah, he he was an alcoholic and quit drinking. He's saved. He's going, let me ask, if he dies tomorrow, do you believe he'll go to heaven? Why, yeah. Well, isn't that amazing? What do you mean, Perry? He is good enough to go to heaven, but ain't good enough to join the church. Can you believe that? And that's where Jesus said, your traditions have made the word of God of none effect. 
That's good preaching. Amen, Perry. Amen, brother. <laughs> okay. Now, I want to go back to what I said, and then we're going, to, we're going to bring this down in a moment to something that's very important that Peter said. And that is, again, righteousness is imparted by Christ. Holy living is a lifestyle. Because here's what Paul said. Let us lay aside the weight and the sin that be sin. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, God, take it from me. Oh, God, take it from me. Did he say, pray for God to take from you the weight and the sin? He said, you lay it down. Let us lay aside all filthiness. Let us, somebody shout us. Lay aside filthiness of flesh and spirit. All right, Galatians tells you flesh sins. Because of what's in your heart, these are sins of the flesh. But then... Here's the part the Pentecostals never preached on. Filthiness of the Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit, your spirit. What? See, filthiness of my flesh, you can see. Filthiness of my spirit, of my spirit I can hide. You can't see my bitterness unless I talk about it. You can't see my unforgiveness unless I talk about it. You can't see my anger if I hold it up unless it explodes on me. So the Bible says, let us... Lay aside. Meaning, don't wait for heaven. Heaven's waiting on earth. Don't wait for God to take something from you that you got the power to lay down. That's good preaching too, Perry. Amen. All right. So there are things that we can lay aside. You do not, guys, you do not have to go to your internet and look at pornography. You can control that. I think the women are saying amen. The men ain't doing nothing. I've got to get some men helping me here. Right? You do not have to go in every weekend, like I see these people do, and go be buying six-packs. That's something you're choosing to do. So see what I'm saying? There are things that only God can do. He's only got the power. There's certain, there's certain sin levels only God can deliver you from because it's a bondage. It's a stronghold. But then there's other things you can say, I ain't doing that. I'm just... Ooh, preach on. Okay. Now, look down here. I got to make sure I'm getting my notes. First uh, Peter 4. Let's go to 12. Everybody ready? Thank you all two of you. <laughs> I, I, I talk so fast that I know that I don't give you time to respond. Here we go. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. And when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with the exceedingly joy. Now, the Bible said, Blessed are you when men persecute you for righteousness' sake. For great is your reward in heaven. They used to harass me in public school. And I just said, Keep talking, keep talking. They said, Why do we need to keep talking? Because you just, you just put another jewel in my crib. Go ahead, talk about me. One guy, I tell you what, he was, he, he was a real kind of a strong big guy. And he pushed me against a locker one time and hurt me. And I turned around and just started rebuking him. I may have spoken in tongues and rebuked him. I don't know. But I started rebuking him. He came to school. I want to say it was the next day. This has been a long time. It was, it was, it was the next day the other day, two days. And he came back with two casts on his legs walking with crutches. He said, get away from me. Get away from me. You hexed me. You hexed me. I said, I'm not a witch. I don't put hexes on people. What are you talking about? He said, the other day when you rebuked me, he said, something happened. I said, what happened? He said, well, I was coming by your house on my motorcycle, and I shot a bird. You were in your yard. You didn't see me. I shot my finger up a bird and turned the corner, wrecked my motorcycle, and hurt both my legs. <laughs> I had to stop the pride from rising up. 
You better tell those other boys talking about me, I'm coming for, I'm coming for them too, okay? You better tell them I'm coming for them. <laughs> then they, they harassed me another time, and I just, I, you know, I didn't know what to do because some, some of these guys were scared, and they'd punch and all that, and I just went, <laughs> what's wrong with you, dude? I said, you ain't read the Bible, have you? You don't know the Bible. I said, the Spirit of God came on Samson, and he took a jawbone's ass. <laughs> That's what I said. I had a backward jawbone of a donkey. <laughs> and I got all excited. And I said, he took a jawbone of a donkey, and he killed a thousand of them, and I'll feel that Spirit coming on me, so if I rip you apart, you... And they start running. <laughs> and I never had a problem with those boys the rest of you. They kind of walk away. <laughs> so... God will give you wisdom. But let's talk, about the, let's talk about the fiery trial for a moment. What is a fiery trial? There are trials that you chill out about. Ah, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. I'm not, that, it's not, I'm not stressed out about that. God will take care of that. That's a normal trial. You know you're going to make it. God's going to provide. He's got the money somewhere. We ain't going to worry about it. Let's go have church. A fiery trial burns. That's why it's called fire. And it burns in your either mind or emotions. See, let me talk, let me talk about, and I'm, I know I'm all over the board to get where I'm wanting to go, but let me talk about temptation for a moment. A temptation is not powerful when it has no emotion attached to it. Stop and think about it. it because if it does not have an emotion attached, attached to it, you'll get over it pretty easy. It'll bypass it. When you are tested by something that stirs your feeling up, and these ladies have gone through various forms of addiction. They know what I'm talking about. If you feel, if alcohol does something to your feeling or a drug does something to your feeling, Satan uses emotion or feeling to keep you bound. How do you, how do you, how do you break off with somebody permanently that you're dating or something like that? You know what you do? You get to the point where you don't have any feeling for them. As long as you have feeling... I just don't know. I know I broke up. I just can't get over it. I can't get over it. <laughs> right? As long as you have feeling, you have attachment. Yeah. Once the feeling breaks, if, if you can get over the feeling part, you're going to be okay. So what's a fiery dart? I'm not going to talk about all the different things a fiery dart can be. You've been through that. But a fiery dart is something that burns in your mind that you're obsessed with it, that you get up and it's on your mind through the day. It's on your mind. By the afternoon, it's on your mind, and you can't get over it. And it's the fiery dart of the enemy. And what it does, if you go to Ephesians 6, is it goes after the shield of faith. Because the Bible said it's the shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. So the enemy is after your faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And with it, without faith, you'll never get that breakthrough if you stay in unbelief. And a double-minded person, I believe, I don't believe, I believe, I don't believe, is unstable in all of his ways. Let not them think they can receive anything from the Lord. So the point is that a fiery dart is much more powerful than a normal trial, a normal test, or what we call, Paul Salt said, a common testing that everybody goes through. It's more powerful. So he said, now, now, if you basically the context is these people are suffering for being believers. They're being persecuted. So it says if you're suffering for being a believer and you're just attacked all the time verbally, sometimes physically they were, he said, don't get upset because when Christ, Christ suffered and he is now in glory at the right hand of the Father, so if you suffer, you will reign with him and rule with him and great will be your reward in heaven. So if you ever get persecuted at work, kind of walk away and smile and say, they don't know how much they're helping me out at the judgment seat. Woo! 
Now, and, and, it, and it, it's not worth it now to go through it, but when you stand before the Lord and you say, I had to spend five years working and they harassed me for you. He said, good. You ought to see what I got for, to put on your head for eternity. And, you can walk, and then you can walk around with that crown. You know, I told people, and I say it jokingly. You know I'm saying this jokingly. But I said, I'm working for a crown so big that uh, I can't even get it on my head and I have to have a gold wagon to haul it around. <laughs> And then let somebody who didn't get one look at mine while they're dragging it around. Come on, do you understand? Because it said on Jesus' head are many crowns. How do you fit many crowns on your head? Not one, but many. I do not know. But I'm going to tell you something. I hope. I hope I'm like the Eiffel Tower and I'm walking around like this. Why? Because of pride? No, because people will say, Perry Stone really did do something for God, didn't he? He really worked for him. Not to brag on me. But the, anyway, let's go. See, I'm, I'm, I'm getting too carried away. When I don't preach in a week or a week and a half, and I did preach last week, but okay. Um, but if you're approached, uh, bless, blessed are you. Um, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. And I love what he said here. He didn't have to say this. And a busybody in other people's matters. You know... There's people that can get obsessed with you. And they get you in their spirit so heavy. And I'll give an example. It's King Saul. When David had that prophecy that he was going to be king, Saul wanted his boy to be king, Jonathan. And Jonathan and David ended up being good friends. And what did Saul do for 13 years? This is what we estimate, 12 to 13 years. He chased David around trying to kill him. Now, can I ask you something? So what are you going to do if you kill David? Saul, you're going to die. So that's how important it is that your name is carried on through your son sitting on the throne. And he became obsessed. And if you read the Bible, he was tormented by an evil spirit. And there are people that get spirits on them. Now, you guys know this. Maybe you've met people. Maybe you've seen people over the years. They get spirits on them, and they become so obsessed. They cannot break their, their, their thought pattern, or they cannot break their desire for destruction because they have now been taken over by a spirit who is whispering to them constantly on what they can do. Now, you know how Saul ended up, don't you? Dying on his own sword. You know how Haman ended up, don't you? Hung on his own gallows. Do I need to preach more? You know how Judas ended up, don't you? Committing suicide. You, uh, if a spirit gets a hold of you the wrong way and you don't get free from it, it'll drive you insane. Woo, preach. So in other words, don't... <laughs> I've said this for years. See, my nose, if you, if you look at this, my nose is kind of long. It was long when I was a kid. And I said to somebody years ago, you know why it got so long, don't you? I kept it out of other people's business and gave it, gave it time to grow. <laughs> I'm not, I, don't, I don't have time to go into other people's business. Did you hear about so-and-so? No, because if it ain't my war, I don't want to hear about so-and-so. It's not my battle. We're going to pray for them that God will help them. But I don't have time to sit around blog. Oh, you know, oh, blog. I don't give my opinion. I think this. I think that. People in town haven't had jobs for years. And all they do are they're bloggers. No, they're not. They're a bunch of boogers is what they are. <laughs> they're not booger bloggers. They're boogers. You understand what I'm saying. It's a little metaphor there. You'll get it later when you get home. Ask your husband if you don't know. When you get home, your wife, she'll tell you. All right. Now. Now watch this. this. This is the story. This is where I want to get, believe it or not. Now I'm where I want to get. For the time has come, I'm going to put, this, I'm going to put Daniel with this, judgment, for judgment to begin at the house of God. 
And if it begins with us, what shall be the end of those who obey not the gospel of, of, of God? If the righteous one is scarcely saved, what will happen to the ungodly and the sinner and the sin, uh, and the sinner appear? In other words, if we as believers are scarcely saved, dear Lord, what will the unbeliever and the sinner be when they have to stand at the judgment? Mm, this is good. Ready? Wherefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him, and in doing so, uh, as to a faithful creator. Now, I want to go back to the original question that I said just a moment ago. And that is, so why does God purify, refine, like a refiner's fire? Remember, he's like a fuller soap and a refiner's fire, the prophet said. So why does he do it? Answer, so that all the way to the end, he will have a church, a body, a people that will be pure and right in their heart. And here's the reason why. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. The one thing the old timers did have right, I mean totally right, was they sought God's righteousness and to be right with him. And can I tell you something? That's why they got their prayers answered. That's why my dad could pray for the sick and almost everybody he prayed for got healed. Because he was a holy man in that he kept his heart right. Holiness, I'm going to tell you this, and I know this is going to, Shake some people up. It is not about how you look because it said man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. It is what's in your heart that counts. And one thing that always bothered me about people judging other people is they want to judge their heart. And you can never judge a person's heart, which means you never know the intent. Well, they said this. They did this. You don't know their intent. You don't know the setting. You don't know the context. You don't know the before and the after. or you, You're just going by what somebody's telling you. Preach on, I am. Okay? So you, you don't know what the intent was. You, so if you try to judge the heart and the intent, that's wrong because you can't do that. Only God knows how. Oh, yeah, Lord. Okay. Now, I want to show you this, and I'm going to give you a nugget, and then we're going to finish this in just a minute. But listen to this. Very important you hear this. This is the prophetic side. So why does God let judgment? First of all, look at the word judgment. When I say judgment, we think destruction. You know, the seven angels are going to bring the judgment. And the earth's going to be destroyed in Revelation. The seven angels go with the seven vibes. And the judgment of God comes. There are five New Testament words for judgment. Judgment seat, Bema. Judgment hall, Pilate's judgment hall. Judgment or judging yourself at the Lord's table. Uh, judgment must first begin at the house of God. So judgment is basically, in the Greek, a word that is actually connected to a medical word of weighing something out judicially. The judge of the heaven, God is the judge. He weighs your evidence out judiciously. Say it. Judi yes. For some reason, I couldn't get that one out. I do have some problems sometimes like that. Judicially. I'll say it while it's on my mind. He weighs it out to determine if he will judge it good or evil. Now, that's a good definition of judgment. So he, does, he weighs it out. And then it also is used in a Greek sense, and this is very interesting, of a person who's near death to determine their condition of whether they will recover or die. That's deep. 
Now we could go into that and, and apply that to Paul saying, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many, are, many have slept. That means to die because you did not discern the body of Christ. That's where that judgment is used. This is awful. Am I overloading you? Are you good? I, I, I want to make sure you're getting it because I know Pam, Pam was saying to me, Perry, you're all over the place. You're all over the place, Perry. <laughs> you lost me back there and you got me back and you lost me back there. You know, God, gave, God gave Pam to me just make sure that I'm, I'm just, okay, yeah, whatever you say, babe, you know. So <laughs> you did the same thing with Hank, I'm sure, you know. So the thing I want to share, and, and, and you got to catch this. So why does judgment first begin in the house of God? Now, I'm going to say this to you. I wrote this down in my Bible. Whew, this is so heavy. You will know that we are close to the, the coming of the Lord. Well, I'll use the term rapture. Some don't like the term, but it's still, we know what it means. You know you're coming closer to the rapture. And you know you're coming closer to the judgment of the tribulation when God first judges the church. God will not. Now, you clean your ears out and you listen to me real good. Well, I just don't understand, man. Those, those folks on that West Coast, they're crazy and they're marching. And they're, you know, same this and same that and trans this. And you got all this going on. And I just don't understand why God. Because you got the same problem in the church. Did you go home? You still here? How, okay. How can God judge the men of Sodom? In the tribulation, it talks about a city that has become like Sodom. It gets judged, right, with an earthquake. All right. How can God judge, judge the world based on the six sins of Sodom when the same six, six sins are in the church? Oh, it's getting quieter and quieter the longer I go with this. So here's my point. My point is this. He can't. So he will never send a national judgment till he first gets his church people who need to clean up, cleaned up. Would you like for me to explain to you why? Raise your hands and I'll explain to you why, okay? Here's the reason why. Because in your Bible, at the judgments, now we've got the Bema, which is the judgment seat of Christ, that every man will give account for idle words, and you'll get either rewarded or you won't get rewarded. That's a separate thing. But in the main judgment, this is what Jesus said. He looked at all those people who he ministered to, who doubted who he was. And he said, the men of Sodom will rise up in judgment against this generation. That's what he said. The queen of the south will rise up and condemn all of this generation. Because a greater than Solomon is here and you can't discern it. So how could the generation of 2022, 23, 24, how could they go before God... And God say, say to them, you rebelled and were belligerent because you continued in this, this, and this. And they turn to a church that's in heaven and says, what about them? What about them? Hey, hey, I had a friend of mine tell me, he said, my dad was a pretty heavy drug dealer and never went to church. He finally got saved, never went to church. I said, why? He said, because he drank with the church choir every Friday. And he'd say, well, I want to go to church. They're out there doing the same thing I'm doing. They're not changed. So how can he go before, how can God put him into a confinement under the earth 
and let the choir, just because they went to the choir, go into eternity, be okay. And him look and say, wait a minute. The last time I met him before he died, he was drunk with me. You put me down there? You didn't put him down there too? It's called unjust judgment or an unjust weight. And God can't be that way. So here's what God says. Y'all better hear this. Why do you think, okay, let me just say it to you this way. Why do you think in 2 Thessalonians 2 there's going to be a falling away first before the Antichrist comes? Why do you think some shall depart from the faith? Depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Why do you think some shall speak lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot You all got all these really wild verses, and you start seeing now people in the church acting crazy. And they won't even go to church. There's people who want, I ain't going to church. You know, I had a, no, I shouldn't say this. I know a person. Let me say that one. I, I know a person that made the statement one time. The reason we don't go to church, and hadn't gone to church in probably 10 years, we don't go to church in Cleveland, Tennessee, because we can't find an apostolic fellowship that, that walks in there. There's 380 churches in this town, and if you can't find one, guess what? The church is not the problem. You are. But they never, they never believe that. Oh, they never believe that in a thousand years. Oh, no, 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 I'm not the problem. I'm not the problem. So, are y'all, are y'all catching what I'm saying? So, the point is, when you start seeing the church having to repent, and this minister having to repent, and that teacher having to repent, and those church members coming forward and saying, I'm sorry. But if you start seeing the whole world, we're not talking about Cleveland, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Texas, uh, Virginia, but the world outside the U.S., the body of Christ. When you see this happening, it is not God... Wanting to destroy his church because he don't do that. It's God purifying so that they'll be ready for the return of the Lord. Can I give you, can I give you a story to help illustrate this? God corrects you for three reasons. And I'm going to talk about the three forms of correction. I'll be done in just a second. Because it's Father's Day. Okay, so I know you all got plans. I guess. Now. Three things. Here's why God lets trouble sometimes come your way to correct you. Number one, to save you. Because if sometimes, and this is, this is not everybody's case by the man. This is a very small percentage. But sometimes if you were to continue in what you're doing, you're going to end up in hell. So what he's doing is he's, he's getting you. You know, can I tell you something? I know some people, some guys write me in prison who thank God. They say, I hate prison. I don't like being here. I'm away, from, but I thank God for prison because I'd be in hell dead as a drug dealer if I didn't go to jail. So there are men and women that God allowed you to go because, can I tell you something? Isn't it better to have a, a season like for, like for these individuals who were on, on drugs and alcohol, but isn't it better to get in there and get free from that and then go to heaven? And that's what they're telling me. If, I, if this had never happened to me, I'd be dead already and lost. So they understand God allowed that to save them. You know, years ago, years ago, there was some, uh, they called it Holy Gate and all kinds of stuff in the 80s. Uh, some well-known preachers, and they got in kind of a little battle and struggle. And that one had an issue, and that came known. That one had an issue, and it came known. And people were all confused. But is God doing this? Is the devil doing this? Let me tell you why God did it. God loves those, all those guys that were involved with that so much. He wanted them to be right and never leave this world and not be right. Good preaching. Okay, so what I'm saying is, if God allows something to happen, to you many times you don't see it at the time but what he's actually doing is he's end up sparing you from real trouble later 
Number two. Ready for number two? <laughs> it's good. Sometimes God allows these things to happen to you to separate you from people you don't need to be around. Oh, I got a better amen on that one. Somebody's been down that road before. I feel it. I feel it now. Because let me say something. There are people that maybe are with you for a season, and it was only a season they were supposed to be with you. And then when God starts looking, now watch this, which only he can do at the intent of people's heart, why are you really there? Why do you really want to be in the ministry? Why did you really come? And God sees what you don't. And there, you know, maybe someone comes along, and this can be business. This happens, this happens a lot in the business world. But somebody comes along who wants to take over, or they want to be in charge, and they think they know more than you, and they're above you, and, and they try to win the hearts of the business people or the CEO, whatever. And you, you find out later, God allowed something to happen. You know, did you know in the New Testament there's a law of separation? Separation of wheat from the tare, separation of the sheep from the goat, separation of the good fish from the bad fish, separation of the profitable servant from the unprofitable servant, separation of five wise and five foolish virgins. Now let me preach. That's five separations in the New Testament. And almost all of those, Rhonda, connect to the time of the end. The wheat and the tare grow together till the time of the end. The fish in the net is at the end of the age. The separation takes place. You go reach the sheep and the goat into the age. Woo! Preach, preach, preach. So, maybe you've had people in your life and they're no longer there. Don't sweat it. Don't put back in your life what God took out of your life. Hey, you can burn me once and it might have been my fault, but if I let you back in to burn me twice, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a moron, excuse me. <laughs> it's like Pam said. Pam says, you know, I can forgive people, but they never have to be a friend again. And she says, I'm going to go to heaven because I forgive them. But I don't have to go eat with them, fellowship with them, and, and look at them and say, are you, you know, are you really cutting me down behind my back? or Are you secretly doing something right now I don't know about? I don't have to ever touch that. I ain't going to touch that. Can't, I'm not going to do that. Anybody ever had a separation that you know was the right thing? Raise your hand and thank God that it was the right thing. Thank God for helping you. Amen. See? All right, number three, and this is important. It's, and, and if you notice this, all these letters begin with this, to save you, to separate you. And the third reason is to sanctify you. And to sanctify means for you to be set apart. Now, the separation is for someone to be out of your life. Sanctification is for stuff to be out of your life. One of them is about them leaving you, and the other is about what's in you leaving you. So sanctification is separation, where God separates things from you that's going to help you. Can I tell you all something? Some of you who are here, and you've, you've experienced this, but for those who may not have experienced it, you never know how bound up you were till you're free. It's like, it's like with alcohol and drugs. You never knew you were that messed up, and then finally you're six months clear, and you say, man, I was totally, I was off the chain crazy. What in the world? And then, and then when your body gets clean and all those, those soul ties are broken or whatever it might be that you've gone through, you say to yourself, oh, what a relief. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. And you start singing a spiritual song like that. One of those great spiritual songs from yesteryear. All right? So going back to the judgment, and I've got three quick points, and I'm done. But going, going back to the judgment, remember this. Judgment begins in the house of God because God cannot allow the world to be judged and us not for the same thing the world's doing. 
So what God wants to do is get the world's idea, the thinking, the world's thinking, the world's system, the, the, the things that are in Scripture that the covenant or the kingdom rules that we're not following. He wants to get back into following the kingdom rules, get back into doing the right thing, get back into being what we need to be. Then when that remnant, because look, everybody in the church isn't going to get right. You do know that. There's, he's coming after a remnant of overcomers, a remnant. But, by, but look, don't leave me out. I want to be in the remnant. I want to hear the trumpet sound. Okay, so we do, we're going to do the right thing. And then when, when he gets the remnant, that's when he can say, now come to be with me. And, and I've got scriptures for this. God's not appointed us to wrath, but to attain salvation through his son. I've got all these verses. Uh, pray that you be counted worthy to escape these things and stand before the Son of Man. That's the tribulation. So we go to be with him. Then he can say, okay, this is my refined ones. This is my purified ones. These are the ones that were overcomers. They were faithful. They may have struggled, but they made it. They fought till they could make it. Now I can judge the world. So it's, it's church first. It's church first. So I'm going to point the mic to you. That's an amen. Three things. Here's, here's the process of what God's going to do. And these are, you can write this down. I'll make this brief because this is a really good way to conclude this. When God is going to deal with you, there will be three parts. Conviction, chastisement, and then judgment. It does not mean you go through all three, but I'll explain it to you. What is conviction? The conviction is when you get arrested by the Holy Spirit for saying or doing something you shouldn't say or do. Now, I want to say something, and this is mine and Pam's hobby horse, and we are dinosaurs. We have determined that we just are not, we're from, a, we're from another group, another world or something. I cannot understand, and I'm being very serious here, that people will go to a movie that has God's name in vain and know it, and they get on the internet. What a great movie. Now, that's got some bad words, but... I want you to picture you sitting there watching the movie with Jesus Christ sitting beside you. And they take God's name in vain and you say, oh, Jesus, let me put my hands over your ears so you don't hear that. Do you think Jesus would be pleased with hearing his father's name damned? God's last name is not damn. And if you, if you will look up what damn means, it means to put a curse on so you're saying GD, you're hearing about somebody say GG. They're saying, God be cursed. And that's your daddy. That's who kept you out of hell. Come on, somebody. That's who saved you and redeemed you. But you're going to say, well, you know, I just kind of ignored it. I don't. If I watch my TV, I don't care if I get to the last five minutes and they say it. I refuse to hear my father who loved me and saved me, his name cursed, and somebody put a, trying to put a curse on my dad. Okay, so what am I saying? So for me and Pam... We would be convicted if we just sat and heard this over, no, you know, once or twice. I don't want to hear it once, but we would get convicted. Now, here's what happens to people. Ready? You get convicted so many times. First time, oh, it's going, to get, it's going to get interesting now. Okay. First time, oh, I felt so miserable, but you go do it again. Well, I still feel bad, and you go do it again. And you do it four, five, six times. And guess what happens after about the tenth time? Genesis 6, my spirit will not always strive with men. And the Holy Spirit leaves you, and then you can do whatever you want to do, and you don't feel bad about it, and it's called, in the New Testament, conscience seared with a hot iron. Let me explain conscience seared with a hot iron. When you got a cut, like if you were a soldier and you got a cut by a spear or a sword, they would take it, clean it, 
and then they would take a hot iron, true story, didn't have stitches back then, and they would, they would hold it together, and they would put that hot iron on it and melt the skin and the muscle, and it would, it would cauterize. In other words, it would form a, 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 a real hard surface, and it killed all the nerves around that area. That's called a seared arm or a seared cut. You could take a needle and hit that area and feel absolutely nothing. Now, God says if you override what I'm telling you not to do, eventually you'll just be able to go do it and not feel my presence at all because you will have a conscience that's seared. And that's why people will say to you, well, why do you do that? You shouldn't. Oh, well, I don't feel bad about it. I will guarantee you the very first time. See, see what you've done is you've done it so many times. It mean, it, it, it's not, it, you're, you're, you're con am I preaching okay? But this is what's happened to people. Their conscience is seared. I know someone that did something. I'm not going to say what. I was all pre-planned. They purposely did it. A friend of theirs heard they did it and called them and said, why did you do that? And they lied and said, I wasn't even in the building that night. I was in another state, in another town. That wasn't me. And they lied and knew they lied. But called, that's called conscience seared with a hot iron. You can tell it and it doesn't bother you. That, my friend, is very dangerous. And I will say this to you. If, as long as you've got a spirit that if you, if you mess up or do something wrong, whatever it might be, maybe something you say, maybe you say a word, whatever it might be, and you can feel bad, you can say, thank you, Jesus. I feel miserable. Thank you so much. I just want to say thank you, Jesus. Because can I tell you what, what that means? It goes to number two, chastisement. It means if God is still convicting you, you are his son or daughter. Yes, yes. Hello. Hallelujah. I always tell these young people, you say, I'm just struggling. I said, do you still feel, you feel bad? You do? Oh, yeah. Well, say praise God. Amen. Because he, he's dealing with you. That's a great thing. That is not a bad thing. That is so great. Just fall on the floor and flip and flop like a fish and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, whatever. Let him know you're thankful that you have some conviction. Now, if you keep overriding something, and, and you know, if something God's dealt with you about. Let's just keep it in this realm. The next thing that will happen, oh, this one's tough. Chastisement. As many as God loves. This is the Bible. He chastises. Now, chastisement, I looked it up in the Greek, and it means when a parent corrects a child for an error and disciplines them. So chastisement is what I call God's whipping. Who grew up with a belt? <laughs> not wearing a belt. You know what I'm talking about. How many of you remember seeing stars and stripes? And I'm not talking about the flag. Now, we don't do that now, and I understand, because our culture is if you spank a child that way, social services will take the child from you. That's just how it is. And... Uh, <laughs> We were disciplined, Jonathan, one time. No, we didn't do it with the belt, but we were. He said, I'll call social services. I said, Good, go get raised by somebody else who don't pay your gas money and don't feed you and cook like your mama. After he talked about mama's food, he changed his mind because ain't nobody can cook like his mama and he knows it. So, chastisement is like a whipping from God. Can I tell you something? I got whipped all, with the belt growing up all the time. And I learned how to fake it out. Now, if there's any kids here, this is good advice. If there's not kids here, I would go, I would, dad would say, I'm coming to get you now. I'm coming to get you now. I'm going, yeah, that's enough. And I'd, I'd lock the door. And he'd be beating on the door. And I would, I would put 10 pair of underwear on. 
I'm telling a true story. I learned how to fake him out. And then I say, don't hit me on the legs, Dad. Don't hit me on the legs, Dad. He's, I don't promise you nothing. Don't hit me on the legs, Dad. And he'd, you know, he'd do that. Y'all been through that, right? And I know this is old school stuff we're talking about here. And he'd walk out, and I didn't feel a thing. <laughs> oh, but I was suffering. Oh, <laughs> you know. So anyway, that, uh, thank God that doesn't happen now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, anyway, I won't go there. But chastisement is, is, chastisement is when God corrects you or God not punishes. There's a difference. Okay? Chastisement is discipline. Real punishment's judgment. Okay, there's, a little bit of, there's a little bit. Now, we could kind of play word games there and say different things. But So what, what, when God chastises you, it, it is very unpleasant. Can I ask you something? Has anybody ever felt like God just chastised you? Yes. It wasn't the devil. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yes. Okay, okay. The rest of you are very lucky. <laughs> but what God does, now, now let me say it again. Why do, you, why do you correct a child? Because if you don't, they're going to get spoiled. If you don't, they're going to have a bad attitude growing up. If you don't, they're going to disrespect people. Right. And you just cannot let... A, a, a child grow up without some kind of I'll tell you how to discipline now they would rather have a belt than they would for you to take their computer or phone away I saw a kid do that with her oh my god oh my god she took the kid's phone and the kid was rolling on the floor like it was having a seizure so we discipline different ways now than what we used to right praise the lord but if, if, you will, if you will get to level one where you're convicted and you will, you will always, watch this, it doesn't mean you're going to be completely delivered with what you're struggling with because you might still struggle with it, but it means you're keeping a heart of saying, God, please, you know in my heart, God, I'm trying to do the right thing. I don't know what this is about, but if you'll keep a good spirit, God will, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll deal with you is what I'm saying till you get free and you can get free. Now, chastisement, though, woo! Now, if you don't follow chastisement after God's just really chastised you, let me tell you what level three is. And this is very dangerous. Judgment. Okay? And we're talking about really real judgment. Let me tell you the judgment God did to a couple in the early church and why. Ananias and Sapphira were a couple in the church. They were selling property. And the reason they were selling property is God told them that the day was going to come that Jerusalem would be destroyed. So the church people started selling their property and giving it to the poor, and then knowing they were going to, there would no be, there would be no Jerusalem in a generation. So that's why they're selling stuff in the Book of Acts. Barnabas sold it, Ananias and Sapphira sold property. So they sell property, saying they're going to give an amount. They lied. They brought the amount. It was not the amount. And Peter said, "Did you promise this? Oh yeah, yeah. Is this it? Yeah, no, no. You just lied to the Holy Ghost. And you know what happened? Bam! They drop over. I tell you, there'd be no problems in any church if that anointing were still here." It'd be like, don't tell the pastor, don't tell the pastor, don't tell the preacher. My God, we're going to drop dead. Don't tell. You know what I mean? Drop dead anointing. <laughs> Matter of fact, a church that had that wouldn't have anybody coming to that church on Sunday morning. You know, some faithful old folks that were holding us for hell. Praise God, pastor. Hallelujah. You know, we don't, have, we don't have too many people going to a drop dead anointing church. So then, you know, and you know, one came in, dropped dead. Second one came in and dropped dead. And I, I, I asked the Lord one time, I said, no, wait a minute here. Wait, let me just talk to you. Where's the mercy? I mean, okay, they lied, but can you not rebuke them and say, now I'm rebuking you in the name of the Lord. You go get what you promised because that's a vow. All right, the Lord spoke to me and he said, let me tell you why I allowed that to happen. 
it, the, the church was in the early church stage. It was in its infancy stage. People had their eyes on it. A lot of new, everybody was a new believer. Do you understand? Except for the apostles and a handful, most people were new believers. If I would have allowed them to get by with lying to me and keeping back the t- part of their money they promised, and other people would have heard about it, they would have done the same thing. Then, it, then not only would giving be affected, but they would be giving falsely under, under the wrong pretense. And then it would go from there to lying about everything else. So once they got by with that, it would just, the whole church would be a bunch of liars. So God said, can't have that. And it says, great fear came on the people. And it doesn't say this, but this is Stone's unauthorized thought. The offerings went up. Your reputation got it. You better give it all. Baby, you got your offering this morning? Hey, did you bring it all? So here's, here's my summary. Here's my summary. And I know I've taught this more than preached, but this is one of those you've got to kind of slow it down to really grasp it, and I'm fine with that. But I want to say this to you. Here's, here's the bottom line. When you hear or see um, in the entire body of Christ worldwide incidents, and it's a negative thing or appears to be a negative thing, you need to say to yourself, God, we're grateful that you care enough about your church to purify it. We're glad that you care enough about your ministers to refine them. You're going to go through the fire. I don't care. Look, I have been through the, <laughs> I told Rhonda one day, I said, I have been, in my lifetime, I, look, I've been through stuff that absolutely is crazy. And you all know most of it. I'm talking about stuff that's just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Are you really serious? All right. I have been through so much. And I said, I told God, God. You talked about fiery trial of your faith. Be more precious than gold. Gold has to go through the fire to get 24 carat. I'm at 28 carat. You can stop now, please. <laughs> Y'all get that. See, some of you just, some of you are right over your head there. Now, honey, what, is, what does he mean by that? You ever been there? Okay, you can stop now, Lord. But you have to say to yourself, Lord, you're great. Now, when it happens to you personally, and there's things that, happened to you personally that that you if you could go back and undo how many of you ever in your life said boy if I could just if I could go a year ago five years ago whatever it might be man things would be so different and some of you you know that have struggled with addictions I mean you could say to yourself I remember when it started boy if I would have only but here's the thing all of us have to understand you cannot I cannot you cannot none of us in this whole town who are believers can ever go back and undo what's already done And that's why Paul said, ready? Forgetting those things that are behind. Do you think he would kill Stephen if he knew better? Do you think he'd like to go back to Acts 7 and say, man, why did I consent to the death? Why did I arrest those Christians? Why did I make them? I made people blaspheme and turn from God. Don't you think he would have loved? But he said, you know what? I cannot live in that. That's the old man. That's the old Paul. But forget those things that are behind. But I reach. And that word reach there doesn't just mean to put your hand out. It means to go and snatch it. I reach for those things that are in front of me. And press toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I'll also say this to you as a person who loves the Lord. And I know you do. It is wrong biblically. And I can show you Revelation 12. I can show you Exodus. I can show you so many scriptures. That when anybody in this congregation or any congregation in the world 
has been forgiven. It is wrong and a sin for people to always bring up, bring up, rehash, rehash, bring up, bring up, rehash. Years later, they're still talking. Rehash, rehash, rehash. And you've got a demonic spirit obsession on you if you do that. Because let me ask you, do you want everybody to bring up your past? Do you? Do you, do you want it known? Maybe something you... And stuff that people say happened that never happened. You want that out there? You want that out there? Talk to me, somebody. Who does? So you have to treat others as you would want to be treated. So release, forgive, forget the past, move on, and always remember, treat others as you want to be treated. And keep your spirit... Not, and this is, this is a story that I'll conclude with. Years ago, and Amanda don't mind me telling this... But years ago, I started teaching my kids, very early age, to keep a repentant spirit. And those of you that are from OCI and Warrior Fest, you've heard me tell people this is so important to keep a tender heart before God. And, and I said, I don't care what you struggle with. You go before God at night and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, but please help me to overcome this. You, have, you pray that because you're, if you sincerely mean it. All right. Well, my little girl at age 11, I've never forgot this. We'd pray every night, and she would end her prayer by saying, Jesus, if I've done anything today that has offended you or hurt you, please forgive me and help me not do it again. I said to her mom, I said, that's a, that's a powerful prayer. So I finally said after a couple of times, every night I'd hear her pray when I was at home. I said, why'd you pray that? And she said, Pam said, well, you taught her. I said, I did? She said, yes, yeah, she heard you preach. And she's been doing that ever since. But here's what we did not know. Some of you have heard Amanda's testimony. At age 11 to 14, she got addicted to pornography. So she was in her room looking at pornography. And then when she would go to bed at night, she knew she did. Her, the conviction was on her. And so she asked God to help her. And it took four years. And finally, it broke most of you know her testimony completely off of her. She's been in a ramp school of ministry now for three years, doing fantastic and ministering to kids. And on the, on the ramp, uh, chosen, the cho- chosen, yeah. No, yeah, I get them all confused. Uh, chosen uh, ministry team. But I taught her, and I, I was so proud of her. I remember, in, I, remember, I remember a warrior fest several years ago, and her mom said, Perry, I need to talk to you. And, and all the kids were getting, you know, everything. They said, um, I, Amanda wants me to talk to you. And I said, what's wrong? I said, she said, tonight she's going to give her testimony. You haven't heard it, but she's terrified to give the testimony in front of you. And I said, why? She says, I don't even know what it is, but she just said, Mom, I hope Daddy ain't mad. And she got up. And told us something we didn't know that she had been bound by pornography and I didn't know it. And that night she gave an altar call and the altar's filled up. Remember that, Christine? That night I, I was sitting on the altar. I said, Come here, baby, come here. To my little girl, come here. And I hugged her. And I said, I want you to know something. I'm so proud of you. She just started crying, crying like a baby. I said, I'm so proud of you because it took a lot for you to get up and admit that. But look at these young people you're helping. And I said this to her, and I said this to my boy when he was under addiction for nine years. I said, I'm going to tell you how I feel about both of you. There's nothing you can ever tell me, nothing you can ever do that doesn't make me love you. My boy used to cuss me out, and I said, that ain't my boy talking. That's some old spirit. I ain't going to listen to that. Because my boy, that's not my boy. He said, oh, shut up. I don't want to hear what you got to say. I said, oh, you're going to hear what I got to say. You're going to be a man of God one day. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, you're not. Yes, you are. Shut up, Dad. I don't want to hear that. I'm going to hear it anyway. I just prophesied, man, I looked right at him when he was just all messed up. And I said, prophet man of God. I ain't a man of God. Yes, you are. I said, I'm not speaking to the fool in you. I'm speaking to the king in you right now. Okay, there's a king somewhere down there. I 
did that for years just to bug him. He said, Dad, you used to really bug me saying that. But I told my girl, I said, there's nothing you can do because I love you so much that nothing, nothing you could tell me would ever make me stop loving you because love's the greatest force there is. If you have been, uh, if you feel like that you've been something in one of these levels, stand up right now. If you feel like you're going through something and you need God to just strengthen you, stand up right where, you're, where you are in your seat. Would you do that? Just stand up right now. Praise God. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I feel His presence very strong right now. The church, the, those of you that are seated, if you would be so kind to look around to your left, right, and front, back. If there's someone standing, go walk over to where they are where you can put, put your hands just on their shoulder because I believe in the point of contact that you make contact with someone and you can agree with them. So would you do that right now? Would you walk over there to where they are? And I'm going to start praying and I'm going to ask you to agree. <laughs> Spirit of God, in the name of Jesus, Holy One of Israel. I thank you for the word you've given me to share with the people because I do believe, Lord, it's a right now word from you. And I do believe, God, in the season that we're in, that's important that we know the mind of God and we know the mind of the Spirit of God. And that's what we seek. I'm asking you to touch the people right now. I'm asking you to give them endurance and patience to endure up under whatever they're dealing with. And I want you to give them, God, an assurance somehow in their spirit. Give them peace. I speak peace over you in Jesus' name. That God will give you inner peace, peace of mind, peace in your soul, peace in your spirit. And that every confusion, every spirit of confusion or uh, that comes into you of making you doubt or possibly doubt God's purpose in your life or God's will for your life. I pray for you that that will be completely broken off of you in Jesus' name. I pray that God will give you peace. I pray that you will, your heart will turn to Him in repentance. And you will say, Lord... I do need you. I admit that I need you. And I want you to come into my heart. Everybody begin to say to the Lord, God, come into my heart. Lord, just say that with me. God, come into my heart. Heavenly Father, use me, Lord Jesus. Use me, God, in the spirit, Lord, to touch the lives of men and women. I pray for the power of God to be released in Jesus' name against every mental, physical, spiritual stronghold. Oh, God. Thank you, Father. Everybody lift your voice for the next few moments and just begin to pray. Everybody.